talking about climate is hard. It's complicated. Climate grief can be paralyzing and optimism can feel fake. The Climate One podcast delivers empowering conversations that deepens your understanding of the climate crisis and its impact on everything. Every week, co-hosts Greg Dalton and Ariana Brochers dive deep on the failures of capitalism, environmental racism, the emotional trauma of fires and floods, and of course, the politics of it all. In a world littered with disinformation, Climate One has earned a reputation as one of the most credible resources on climate disruption. Climate One is available wherever you get your podcasts, with new episodes dropping every Friday. Subscribe to Climate One today. Now back to The Coolest Show. This is The Coolest Show brought to you by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. It's the coolest show, you know, keep the culture connected. It's the coolest show, you know, in your ear, yeah, respect the expert level, information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Cream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your off. Coolest, coolest show, you know, it's the hip hop call. Everybody, this is Rev Yearwood with the coolest show. And I love it when we have returning guests. That's something, it means a lot for me and it means a lot because you know that that guest is 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 making it happen. And so really excited to have the powerful Rakia Lumumba. Rakia, how are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me back. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Well, we got to have you back. You know, I think I told the story last time about how much your dad meant to me. Um, in my time of, of fighting a good fight in New Orleans after Katrina, um, uh, he actually was before he was mayor of Jackson. He was helping with security, and I, I even I will tell you, never felt more secure ever in my life <laughs> with your pop. So I gotta admit, so I, so I, I, I yeah, nah, and it was it was some characters too. You know, folks was was acting up. But uh, man, so how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm holding strong. You know, we got a lot happening in this world right now. Um, So I think all of us are holding strong. Yeah. Well, we actually just questioned last time. And so since that time, I'm curious to hear your answer. Who is Rakia Lumumba? (laughs) Such a good question. You know, so much has happened over the past couple of years. And I'll tell you, that is a question I began to ask myself again over the past weekend, over this weekend. Um, but ground level, you know, at the root, I am a woman who loves Black people. I love humanity. I love righteousness. I love doing good in the world, like doing what's right for us. I love seeing people flourish and just have joy, right? Like I love being able to contribute that. That's who I am. I'm a person who believes in building the opportunity for self-determination in our individual lives as well as in our broader community. Like I am I am deeply committed to something called co-governance, which allows for 
most of us, if not all of us, to willingly be a part of the decision making around the policies and the practices that govern our lives. I want to see true democracy, that direct democracy where we're making big and small decisions. And I I deeply believe in that. And I think that that's how I, I engage in my life in both my personal life around decisions and including, you know, folks and also in my work. And so I'm a, I'm a woman of integrity. I'm a woman of purpose. And uh, I'm a woman that loves. You know, my middle name means lovable. And I tell you, like, I love hard. I love hard. So That's a good thing. Well, I, I want mm-hmm. you to keep loving Black people hard. Don't stop that. That's right. <laughs> don't know. <laughs> Don't 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 stop that at all, please. We we need to even we, when they don't love you back, though, right? Man. Like, well, we need that. So, and, and for folks who don't know, who is your community? Um, you know, my community is the community of Mississippi. Um, starting with Jackson, Mississippi, where I was raised, where my parents journeyed um, with a brave vision of creating self-determined communities there. Um, And so my community is Jackson, Mississippi. My community is also, um, you know, my roots are in Detroit, Michigan. Um, uh, But, you know, home, who I represent is Mississippi. Mm. You know, I'm a Southern girl um, and I am wholly Mississippi. I love everything Mississippi. <laughs> well, you know, I, as a, as somebody who's who was born in the South, born in Louisiana, you know, I love to hear that. You know, that's 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 a that's a wonderful thing. Well, thank you again for being here on the coolest show. Um, I wish that the water crisis, um, particularly in Jackson, Mississippi, was solved completely. It was solved at all. Um, unfortunately, that is not the case. And as we know, this situation, this disaster, really, dates back to whew, the 40s, maybe. Um, yeah. And from when this thing has been just a result of just decades of environmental racism, historical mm-hmm. inaction, obviously anti-Blackness. Um, so this is something that was a disaster that was not only put forth, but was created. Um, Mm -hmm. Where are we now? I know that there were literally, what is it, two plus million people living Mm -hmm. without, um, there's, this is throughout this country. We know that um, many, there's many people who are living without indoor plumbing and drinking Mm -hmm. water. Um, and we know that within Jackson, Mississippi, um, that the, the poor water infrastructure, um, Mm -hmm. is something that literally has created a crisis. Mm -hmm. Where are we now, um, at this point from your opinion? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Thank you so much. So the first thing, you know, I didn't mention that in addition to who I am just personally, I'm also the executive director of the People's Advocacy Institute, which is a Mississippi-based organization that works to provide transformative justice initiatives throughout the South. Um, specifically, though, we focus on Mississippi. And so the water crises has taken over a good percent of our work. We did not come into this as environmental justice experts. We came into this as community members trying to transform the criminal legal system. 
And we were immediately pushed into environmental justice in a way where we were allies working, showing up, volunteering around environmental justice efforts, but now turned full environmental justice advocates, Mm -hmm. right? Actually moving. We have provided over 100,000 residents with resources, water support, filters, a number of different things because of the water crisis, not only in Jackson, but throughout the state of Mississippi. And I'm glad that you did not, you know, you have started with Jackson, but I know that, um, you know, even in your opening commentary talked about how it's impacting so many more, so many more places, including um, throughout Mississippi's rural communities. Um, You know, we are unfortunately very much in the same position we were Um, when the water crises actually happened back the first crises in 2021, which many people um, weren't aware of because our attention was on Texas. In 2021, we saw the winter storm uh, hit Texas and parts of Louisiana extremely hard, knocking power, electricity, um, and freezing pipes across um, Houston and Dallas and areas. Well, that same weather impacted Mississippi. In Jackson in particular, we were without, uh, many residents were without water for six weeks. Uh Um, I, my own home, was without water for several weeks. Um, You know, if those pipes, we had 130 pipes burst in 2021. In 2022, we had over 100 and something days of boil water notices. In 2021, we had 221 days of boil water notices. This is after the storm, right? This includes both before and after the storm, right? And so what we are seeing now is that in Jackson, we have now what we call a third party administrator. So let me, I'm going to try quickly to break this down a little bit for you. So the water crisis of 2022 happens in August of 2022. On August 29th, water is shut out, right? Our water system completely fails. We, the city, community groups immediately go into action to do what we've done before. We try to immediately provide water to our residents, to ourselves, right? To our community members, our neighbors. Um, National groups come in and they began to send water to us and help out. The EPA decides, and I think they had good intention, but the EPA decides that Jackson has two choices. Because the water infrastructure is so bad and we have yet to fix it over a period of over 30 years, Mm. right? More than 30 years, significantly more than 30 years. That Jackson has two choices. Either it can cede its water system to the state or it can give its water system to a third under the control of a third party administrator. Now, this is a city where I'm going to tell you right now the true heroes of the water crises and our water woes have been residents. Uh-huh. Residents who back in 2013 voted uh, by over 90% to tax themselves an additional 1% to provide wa- provide reliefs financial relief to our water issues to help improve our infrastructure. This is a city that every single Black mayor since Harvey Johnson of 1997, when he was first elected as the first Black mayor of Jackson, Mississippi, 
has asked for water support for our infrastructure in Jackson, has asked the state to provide financial relief to help fix our infrastructure issues. This is a city in which the federal government was sending money to the state, sending money to the state to provide to Jackson, to provide part of that money to Jackson for us, for our water infrastructure needs. And the state gave little to nothing, many years, nothing at all, including in 2021 when we had over 130 pipes burst. Mm. Including in 2020, when Jackson put forth under, uh, you know, my brother who's currently the mayor, when Jackson put forth um, a, a, a legislative ask um, that included not only Jackson, but several rural communities to actually provide money directly to the city of Jackson and other rural communities for water infrastructure. And the governor vetoed it mm. in 2020. This is the same city who has the administration, even administrations beyond the current one, has attempted to maintain a failing water system that is a $19 billion issue with a budget, a city budget, that at its best reaches maybe $300 million. Wow. So this is a place that is predominantly Black, over 85% Black, mm -hmm. has Black leadership, and has been maintaining, has been doing what it can with very little resources to actually maintain a quality of life for residents just to have access to clean water. You know, um, one of the things, and so, and, and, and so during all this time, what, what we forget is that when you are under EPA violation, you are fined as a city. That's right. So every time you are unable to fix the problem, regardless of the reason, regardless if the reason is because you just don't have the financial resources to fix the problem, right? You are constantly fined. And so you're supposed to fix a problem as a poor city while also paying a fine. And so you're supposed to, it's just like, you know, when we, we get locked up and we get out. Right. And we're supposed to we done lost our job because we got locked out. But we supposed to also pay the probation fee once we get out. We also supposed to pay whatever fees and fines were associated with our court fees when we get out. And we supposed to live and survive. Right. How are we going to get ahead? So the EPA was finding us at all, all that time as well. Hmm. So lo and behold, 2023 comes around 2020, uh, uh, the end of 2022, 2023 comes around and the EPA says, well, we're we're going to help you, the federal government. Um, through the assistance also of Benny Thompson, comes in and says, we're going to help y'all. We're going to give you $800 million from different federal resources. And we're going to make sure that money comes directly to Jackson. And we're like, yes, that's what we need. But then they throw in this wrench that, but you're going to have to choose between the state or this third-party administrator. Hmm. Now, at the time, we are in the midst of the crises. We are in the midst of this this very just, uh, I, I can't, you, you know what, it, I, I don't know if, it, if you've ever experienced it, and you probably have because you're from Louisiana, when you don't have access to water, when you can't take a bath, mm -hmm. you can't brush your teeth, you know, you got to make sure you got drinkable water, bottled water in your house. 
I remember one day coming home from distributing water, you know, um, all day long and then coming home and realized I ain't bring no water home for myself and I ain't had no water. Mm. Right. And so, you know, um, we're in the midst of that. And so when given the option, it immediately was like, well, we're rather a third party administrator than the state because the state ain't never done nothing for us. The state ain't never actually treated Jackson with respect and provided it the resources or the autonomy to be able to actually live and provide a good quality of life for residents. And let's make sure people don't understand that Jackson is the state capital of Mississippi. So Mm -hmm. if folks are wondering, this is some remote part of Mississippi off to the side, if you don't know, uh, this is 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 their state capital. But it's, as Rakea said, this is 85% of the population of the 150,000 people is black, but we keep going. Yeah. And Rev, you know, 85% of people are black. Jackson is the largest city by three in the entire state. Mm. There is no city bigger than Jackson in the entire state. Jackson is home to all the major hospitals in the state of Mississippi. And Jackson is also uh, where the majority of businesses and money is made is in the city of Jackson. Yet, Resources are constantly extracted from Jackson, similar to what we see happening in African countries where, you know, you get mining, all these gold, all this rubber, all these things. And the people there are are living in poverty because the corporations are just taking, taking, taking. And so we see the same impact in Jackson. Um, And so, you know, um, and so, you know, the EPA decides to appoint this third party administrator. We think this third party administrator is going to work with us, going to work with community. You know, he comes in saying he's going to work with community, saying he's going to work with the city and that he's going to have everything back on track to turn back over to the city in uh, less than four years. Mm. Now, what we hear is that one, he's extended his contract to 10 years. He has completely stopped communicating with the city. He has refused to communicate with groups like mine and the Mississippi Rapid Response Coalition. Um, And so we find in ourselves, and he has complete control over the 800 million that has come to Jackson. Mm. And so we find ourselves in the same position we were before, consistently being exploited. Um, You know, this, um, and, and, and it, it's really, it begins to weigh on you. You know, you fight so hard for something, you finally get in and you got to fight again, right? Um, and so right now our fight um, really um, is to ensure that we have, our fight continues to be to ensure that we have clean water. Our fight is to, to be sure that we have oversight of how that money is spent. Right now, this third party administrator is making close to a half a million dollars a year. Um, to be over our water system in a city where the the median income is between $35,000 and $40,000. He's making a half a million dollars a year. Um, This is a place where we know that our water infrastructure system is a $19 billion issue. And we know this $800 million will help us get there help us get to a place of safer drinking water, but it's definitely not going to get us to the place of eradicating the problem altogether. This is a place where we know our pipes leading to our homes, to many of the homes are over, many of them are over 100 years old. Others are 
30, 40 years old and our lead pipes that have to be replaced that haven't been replaced. The money that's coming down from the federal government could be used to replace those pipes. Mm. You know, um, I really encourage folks to just, you know, go and look at our um, community statement on our website, um, Jackson People's Assembly, that's jxmpeoplesassembly.org, tells you a little bit more about what we're asking for, what we're pushing from, for from this uh, third party administrator. And most importantly, we don't want our water system to become private. We want our water systems to stay public. And so we're really pushing to ensure that it stays public. And why is public important? Because when it's public, it's cheaper. When it's private, the cost goes up and up and up. You see what happens with your energy bills. You see what happens with your gas bills. Water is no different. And so that's what's going on in Jackson. So, so much there, Rakia. And I want to unpack some of that. Um, So important. This is why this conversation is so important, because I think that when some of the main uh, you know, media uh, leaves. People think the problem mm-hmm. is solved. They think that yeah. they think that okay, well, it's all good. That's why it's important for us to follow up and tell our stories. Um, the one thing I want to get to: you mentioned the city's population. Obviously, it's over eighty-five percent of the hundred and fifty thousand uh, of the city population, or more, around that range. Mm-hmm. Um, is um, black people. And Mm -hmm. what we know is that more than one quarter lives below the federal poverty level. And you mentioned that with how much people are making literally between 30 to 40, $45,000 a year, while (laughs) the person who's there to help put forth your water is getting paid a half mil, which is which, to be honest, is a lot in Mississippi. I mean, let me just say, I mean, that's this ain't, I mean, some places that may be one thing, but that's, that's, that's a lot of money. The mm-hmm. state has the lowest level um, of life expectancy in this country. Yeah. Um, and it has, as you mentioned, it has a lot of um, health concerns um, that mm-hmm. are ranging from diabetes hypertension, stroke, infant deaths, deaths from cancer, heart disease, chronic kidney disease, and on and on and on. At what point (laughs) do you, what what is, I want to make sure, I think you know where I'm going with this this thing, Mm -hmm. because the same question for those in Flint, at what point, how do we get to self-determination yeah in a setting when clearly the goal of people for decades Mm -hmm. is to create situations where it is affecting people and people's lives. It is if it is creating infant mortality. It is creating a, a, a decrease um, in maternal health. It is creating other chronic diseases. How, when you don't have, when you have this lack of access to clean water, which creates mm-hmm. these health disparities, how do you create self 
determination. And is that mm -hmm. the best thing? Yeah, yeah. That's a, uh, listen, I always think self-determination is the best thing because anything else is temporary. Mm. It's a temporary fix that's going to lead to devastation, that's going to lead to all of those same issues coming back and tearing families apart. I think part of what we've been seeing in our communities over the past several decades has been the fact that we haven't focused our efforts on self-determination. We focused our efforts so much on assimilation. We focused our efforts so much on just um, getting the moderate uh, to come a little closer to our views or um, moving to to you know, make friends across the aisles instead of focusing on where we need to focus in our communities with our people, educating our folks, motivating our folks, organizing our folks to do what is necessary. You know, I recent I was just listening right before um, we jumped on um, on on uh, the interview with you right right before coming on your show. I was um, had playing in the background high on the hog. Mm. Right, that's a Netflix show about food. Mm -hmm. um, really cool. I, I watched the first season. It was really good. So anyway, I, I was, it was playing in the background and, and they were in Atlanta and Georgia and they were talking about, um, how, uh, they had like a underground food, uh, service hmm. and, and underground meaning that just like you had the underground railroad where you had different houses where you can go, they had, they had, chefs, they had caterers that were underground that literally were making food for folks who were out on the protest lines or whatever. And when the cops would ask, you know, well, where'd you get this food? They would say, well, I don't know. It just showed up. Right. Because nobody would know where it came from. Right. Intentionally. And they talked about how that underground food service turned into an underground transportation service so that people could get to work and people could do all of these things. Right. And so, one of the things that we have to remind ourselves of is that we have been self-determined people mm. and that we are even self-determined people in the midst of the turmoil that we experience even now in modern day society. When I think of self-determination, I think of the fact that when the water crisis happened in 2021, the state did not call for a state of emergency until three weeks after we had already been suffering. It was organizations like mine, People's Advocacy Institute and the Mississippi Rapid Response Coalition and so many other churches and faith-based groups and organizations that came together two days after the storm and began to get in our four-wheel drive trucks and get kerosene to elders who were in icy weather where we have never experienced and got them kerosene and heat. It was community members. It was neighbors that made hot place when they had the heat and got it to community, other community, their other neighbors. It was passing out water to everybody that needed water. That is self-determination. Mm -hmm. It is us creating our own rapid response and mutual aid services that take care of each other when the state has yet to do what we need them to do. We've been passing out filters since 2021. The state just now began to offer filters two years after the fact. You know, so we don't have to wait on the state to take care of us. We can take care of ourselves. And that's what self-determination is. Right. And I think we really have to invest more in, in our own self-determination. I'm with you on it's, that so much. Yeah. Um, I, I want to just, I want, I want you, and I want to know people who are listening that not only is that just a critical piece, that that's, I think that's the only way. Um, mm. 
that we get to a solution is through self-determination. Um, I, I wanna I wanna get to the broader Mississippi conversation around water and water uh, insecurity um, and how that impacts the daily life of many communities. Um, but I, I actually just, as you were talking earlier, I just want to ask this question. For folks who don't know, you mentioned how you were you were giving out bottled water and then you forgot to get bottled water for yourself. <laughs> um, yes. Can you just tell folks how using bottled water to cook, to clean, to bathe, how is that mm-hmm. psychologically stressful? Man, it's true. It's a, listen, I'm going to tell you, we, we got a little uh, trauma. <laughs> and I mean, it doesn't come from just 2021 or 2022. And I want to be clear. We, I have, I've never known a time since living in Jackson, since the early 90s, that I've been able to drink the water out of the tap. Mm. Um, we've always been told not to drink the water. We've always received boil water notices. It is actually only since this third party administrator has come into being where we haven't been receiving boil water notices, but people's water is still brown. And his theory is, oh, you've been getting too many boil water notices. Well, that ain't the truth. We know we don't need to be drinking the water, right? Um, it ain't fixed. Until the pipes are fixed, the water ain't fixed. Um, but, you know, and so I, I do want to acknowledge that Drinking, our trauma came way before having to use the bottle when we didn't have water coming out of our pipes. It's come from never being able to use the water out of our pipes. When I go to other cities, when I go to other people's homes in other cities, um, even when I'm at hotels or things like that, I don't drink the water. Mm. Like I I have a legitimate fear of drinking tap water unless I see a filter on it. Um, And I'm not the only one. Most folks that I know will not drink the water. And, you know, you talk about like in communities, like we have a growing um, Latina community, right? Um, uh, Of indigenous people from Central America. And they have not always gotten the information that because it's not being issued in languages that they can understand. And so, you know, when we tell them about the water, they immediately stop drinking the water, but they also began to complain and say, well, you know, I was wondering why, you know, my baby was getting these blisters or wondering why, you know, I wasn't feeling good after drinking the water. Um, And so, you know, it's a, uh, mm, I'll tell you, it it is psychological for sure. It impacts your psyche. Mm. Um, And, you know, buying water has just become a part of everyday life. Wow. Like I, I don't know when I don't know not to buy water and and to be transparent we're still giving out water to people we haven't stopped giving out water to people. Well, let's talk about how close you are because you're not far from the Mississippi River Delta area, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is not like, I mean, how does it feel to be getting? And for folks who don't know, when my hat says stop petrochemicals, when I and that's stopping plastics, and so for me, there's a double-edged sword here that. Plastics is oil and gas, and so we get this all this plastic that's being bottled up, and then that's also a whole other problem. So we got one problem, we'll talk about another problem, we'll talk about a whole other problem. Yeah. So, and I know mm-hmm. there's different areas. So folks who don't know, they think of Jackson, Mississippi, they think of Mississippi River. How close is that? How far is that? And how are y'all connected to the work 
that's also impacting um, the water-related challenges to those folks that are affecting Black Mm -hmm. and Indigenous communities. Yeah, so Jackson is actually surrounded by water. Um, we're surrounded by several lakes. Now, hold on, hold on, hold on, um, hold on, hold on, hold on, you can't. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, wait up, wait, hold up. Y'all here ain't got no water. Y'all trying to get your pipes <laughs> fixed. Y'all got all this money coming. Somebody's trying to steal the money. Y'all surrounded by water, but y'all ain't got no water. That's crazy. That's, yeah, we got that's the meaning of crazy right there. I ain't mean to cut you, <laughs> but I'm just saying, somebody listening going to be like, man, and we know, I'm just saying for folks who understand, we be very clear that this ain't just about water. Be very, very mm-hmm. clear. This is water. Mm-hmm. It's about water, but this is also about racism. This is also right. about environmental racism. It's mm-hmm. also about the inaction um, to literally um, to to try to punish That's right. a community that also, people should know, that was the key city in the civil mm-hmm. rights of of, right. of 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 what has happened. There was there is no people go to Atlanta and they may even go to Birmingham, but they you need to understand there is no civil rights movement without Jackson, Mississippi, right. from Jackson Thank State. You. To the people there, they held it down. So right. just want to make sure, people listening, that this is not just in some vacuum. They make sure. Mm-hmm. But how do those how do those things connect? Yeah. Yes, great question. Um, and and before I answer, I do want to to talk about the bottled water, like you said. Mm. And 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 you know, I just really want to shout out um, some of our partners, national partners like um uh, Love Like Water, mm. and um, even Colin Kaepernick and his group, um, 501c3, and their group um, that really helped us have some alternatives to bottled water. So we were using boxed water mm. um, to distribute to folks as well. And 501c3, that's, I think, Jaden Smith's org, yep. sent us a water filter system right? Like a whole huge water filtration system that we were able to place at one of the community centers in one of the poorest um, areas of Jackson where people can come and fill up repeatedly their jugs of water um, with filtered water, um, with, um, you know, uh, very well filtered water. Um, And so just want to really shout them out. and, And thank you for lifting that because one of the things people forget is that water, bottled water expires. Mm. We learned this. <laughs> we had to learn this through our own experience. And when it expires, those toxins can enter your body as well. So you're not doing yourself any any better, any good um, from drinking that water. And so, you know, it's not a good solution to just be able to use bottled water. It's not healthy. It's not a healthy solution. Um, and so thank you for lifting that up. No, thank um, you for lifting that up. Thank you for lifting that up. Our brothers, yeah. uh, Jaden and Colin, who also, you know, are doing good work. You know, I guess one thing about this too, being in a, being an intersectional um, from an environmental standpoint or from a human standpoint, that these these issues connect for sure. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and uh, Stacy Epps, like I said, love yeah. like water and the Solutions Project um, out in LA really have helped us significantly to be able to support community. Mm. Um, But, um, you know, when we talk about, you know, Mississippi and the Mississippi River and overall, you know, it it leads us to 
the poorest area in Mississippi, which is the Delta. Um, the Delta, for folks who don't know, was the richest area in all of the South during slavery. It was, you know, cotton is king. That's what they would say, because cotton was its largest producer and made uh, uh, that area one of the wealthiest in the nation. Mm. Um, it is now the poorest in the nation. And um, it is a place where most Black people have their roots in Mississippi. Um, it is a place where still to this day, you can find people picking cotton in the summers, mm. right, um, to earn a little money. It's a place where um, running water is not a guarantee, right? It is a place where you still have outhouses. It is a place where electricity is not guaranteed. Mm. Many, many homes don't have electricity. But it is a community, like in most of Mississippi, it is a community that continues to fight back and to demand more. And I want to just lift that because I don't want people to think we're sitting back doing nothing about our conditions. Black people in Mississippi have been resisting oppressive conditions since the moment we've experienced them. And we will continue to do that. So I don't want you to think we ain't doing nothing about it. We are the most resourceful people you can imagine, right? We have been able to live and to experience some semblance of a good quality of life based on what we have been able to do for ourselves. And so I just want to make sure I throw that out there. Yeah. yeah. What does the future look like for Jackson, Mississippi? And I'm going to add a caveat for you here, Rakia. <laughs> I can't help but think of the T-shirt that I saw. Um, one of the brothers had a T-shirt that said, Welcome to Boar Water Alert, Mississippi. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so what does the future look like either for Jackson, Mississippi, yeah. or what does the future look like for Boar Water Alert, Mississippi? Which hopefully Listen. is two different things, but what's the future <laughs> look like? <laughs> Listen, listen. Well, you know, honestly, what's happening in Jackson is just a microcosm of what's happening all across Mississippi mm -hmm. in rural communities throughout Mississippi. So I want to be clear. Um, Jackson is just an example of what's happening in the Delta, of what's happening, you know, um, in communities on the coast um, that is right there in, on the Gulf Coast where water is got the whole ocean there. Right. Like, you know, um, what is happening in Jackson is an example of a state's ne willful neglect to invest in infrastructure and systems that care for its people, mm. period. And um, it is doing that more in areas that are predominantly Black and areas not only that are predominantly Black, but areas they can, they can willful neglect because they're poor, right? And so... Um, and so I say um, what we're experiencing in Jackson is experiencing everywhere. But also, you know, I see a bright future for Jackson. You know, just um, I, I, and, I, and I see a bright future because we're finally getting the national attention that we need. And we need we need opportunities to be on the coolest show. That's right. And on so many other places, other, you know, um, uh, uh, 
spaces to talk about this, to help people understand what's going on. And we need people to come and experience it. Like, we'll make sure you got clean water. We give you some bottled water. You'll be all right. All right. We'll give you a filter. Come visit. Um, And you can have the best food, too. Good food, good food. But, um, you know, and so I see a bright future for us. I see a future that is self-determined. I see a people that have been so self-sufficient for so long that we have the ability um, to actually be a a model, an example of what self-determination looks like. We can be a model for what self-determination looks like, not only in Jackson, but across Mississippi. Um, You look at our recent elections this past November, where we had our governor's race and our state legislative races. And if you look at those, you know, races, we see that we came really close to shifting the the governor's seat. Um, We came extremely Mm -hmm. close to shifting that governor's seat. And so I see in not about 10 years, I think that governor's seat is going to be shifted to one that's more progressive. You know, uh, we already have uh, the largest percent of Black um, elected state um, representatives, which doesn't mean a whole lot in a supermajority um, white uh, uh, caucus. But, you know, um, there's opportunity there, right? There's opportunity. Um, we are a state that is likely, if things don't change, we'll be the first state to have a majority of Black population, uh, Black uh, residents in the state, right? Um, and so that's really exciting. Right now, we're hovering in the 42, 43 range. You know, we're getting closer to over that 50% range, you know? Um, and so I, I, I think that's exciting. I think, you know, don't sleep on, don't sleep on Mississippi. No, no, <laughs> not, not at all. Well, listen, I just, before I get to my, my question of how folks can support you and find you, I do got to ask this question. I asked a question about what's the future for Jackson? What's the future for Listen, my future is dictated by what is necessary. So we'll see. You know, if we if we moving and thriving and self-determined, my future looks beautiful. I'm going to be over, you know, chilling somewhere by the water. Right. Uh, Enjoying some relaxing years. Um, But if not, then I'll still be organizing in the community. If I need to organize in the state legislature, I'll be there, too. Or in Congress, I'll be wherever I'm needed. Um, But I take my direction based on need and from the people that uh, are most impacted that direct me. So. Well, I can speak up. You know, I'm, I, I don't want to leap in there. I ain't from Mississippi, but I can speak up for just folks around the globe from world citizens here that, man, mm-hmm. your voice is powerful and it's needed. And we need a whole lot more Rokia Lumumba's out here fighting a good fight. Thank you. Appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah. How you can know, folks... you've been leading the way for a long time. So excited to follow in your lead. Yeah. Thank well, you. we need, we need, we need, we need, we need, I'm trying to tell you this. So on that good note, on that, on the, on the, on the, on the old man vibe, I can tell you that. <laughs> I can give you the, I can give you that old man. So listen, in that case, then you, you are definitely special for our movement. And how can folks find you? They want to support your work. They hear this and that. They yeah. know it's not over. And Jackson, y'all still fighting. How can they support you? You can definitely always go to peoplesadvocacyinstitute.com or you can go to Mississippi Rapid Response Coalition, which is msrrc.org. Stay up to date on what we're doing. 
Um, you can also follow us on jacksonpeoplesassembly.org um, and learn all the things that's happening, um, all the work that we're doing, including the water crises work. Um, and so, you know, hit us up. We'd love to have, you know, you join our efforts from wherever you are. We need your support. My sister, Rakia, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. On the coolest show. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and I am Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show. Thank you, and all power to the people. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. It's the coolest show you know. It's the coolest show you know.